Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. He's known to Canada. We're going to begin with this. He's known to Canada as Bernard the Roughneck. He's 32 years of age. Long-haired Alberta oil rig roughneck who spoke to parliamentarians. And he made national headlines about how lives are being ruined and dreams are being shattered in Alberta as the oil patch doesn't necessarily dry up, but it's not what it used to be and it's not what it could be and it's not what it should be. There is opportunity, and it's not being maximized. And one of the issues, well, here we go with Denny Coderre again. He's, a, he's part of it because the Montreal mayor, as you know, uh, said no, N-O-N, to the Energy East pipeline going through Montreal. And I have all his reasons why. I have them right in front of me, and I'll share them with you shortly. I, I tweeted again to the, to, the, uh, to the Montreal mayor, who follows me on Twitter, and I follow him. We've known each other for 20 years. Come on the show. I won't even interrupt you, but... Nothing back from Denny Coderre. Bernard Hopkins, Bernard the Roughneck, joins me on uh, the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Bernard, good to talk to you. We spent an hour uh, the other night off off the air just talking, and I suggested to you that you should get into politics, and I think you should. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, no. You, you, you make some you know, you make excellent points, and you're doing what you're doing because you're representing the people you work with who maybe can't, in your words, express themselves in the manner that you will, but you see how lives are being ruined, how, how hopes and dreams are being shattered by what's going on in the oil patch. So let's start with that. What did you tell parliamentarians? What do you want to tell Canadians? What would you like to tell Danny Kader? Well, first off, I should uh, correct you. My last name is Hancock. H-A-N-C-K. Oh, I'm sorry. I've oh, got no it right problem. in front of me. Uh, but uh, what would I say to Canadians? Yeah. Um, I'd just say that um, this is, these are issues that affect uh, this whole country and people from across the country. And I think that, um, you know, uh, our prime minister, when he got into office, he said, and I quote, when open data and evidence-based policy are at the heart of policymaking and government's decisions, you get the kind of government Canadians expect and deserve. And so regarding the issue of energy and pipelines in Canada, I hope that's... Um, the tack that uh, our federal government's going to be taking going forward. And what would I say to Mr. Coderre? Um, well, I, you know, I, I followed him for a long time and I pay attention to his political career and I see him as somewhat of a populist. Like he's always going around in Montreal Canadiens jerseys and I've seen photo ops where he puts on a hard hat and runs a jackhammer. And I kind of feel that his opposition to Energy East is based on appealing to certain voter cleavages and doing what's best for his own political fortunes. Because I wonder how someone who says that he cares so much about the environment signed off on dumping 8 billion litres of raw sewage into the St. Lawrence. Um, You know, and not only that, but there's tankers, as it stands, coming down the St. Lawrence with imported oil, threatening those waterways. And, you know, I don't think Energy East will cancel those contracts with oil producers from overseas, but it'll go a long way to making Quebec um, more dependent on Canadian oil. And as it stands, the pipeline currently in existence, it travels from Portland, Maine to Montreal. It's 65 years old, feeds three refineries in Montreal that produce 387,000 barrels a day. Um, why would you want this 65-year-old pipeline running through numerous protected waterways when you could have a brand-new pipeline that has all the best of uh, safety and environmental regulations and monitoring? 
this this is why I'd love to have Mr. Guterre join us on the air and, and defend the positions. And I'm going to read everything that he said about uh, why he doesn't want Energy East after I finish speaking with you, Bernard. You, you told Parliament, quote, Albertans are hurting and feeling like they've had people turn their backs on them. Talk to us a little bit about what's going on with the people you work with, how their lives have changed since the oil patch has run into the difficulties that it's now encountering. Well, people are doing what they can to get by. Um, and Alberta, it's a very interesting political culture. Uh, the people who originally settled Alberta were mainly American homesteaders, the original homesteaders and third wave Eastern Euro- European immigrants. And these are people that are the salt of the earth to say the least. They're people that um, are dependent on community and friends and neighbors, and they don't want charity. They don't want to hand out. Um, I mean, if you look at Albertans, per capita, our province gives the most in terms of both time and money to charity amongst any province in Canada. And so, you know, um, Albertans, I don't think they want charity or a handout. They simply want government to enable a strong and robust economy that gives people jobs. And you talk about, okay, how, how have people I know have been affected? Well, there's, people, there's a guy I know who can't put his kids in hockey this past year, simply couldn't afford it. I've known people who've had to go to the bank with the keys to their homes. Um, repo trucks are driving around pretty heavy. Um, I was down in Brooks, Alberta, down south there, and things are getting really bad. There's a lot of business closures, and every block you drive down, there's at least one for sale sign. Um, and people are doing what they can, but it's difficult for guys in the patch because when people see on your resume that you worked oil field, they know when things pick up, you got to go back to those high-paying jobs. So it's like it almost disqualifies you from these jobs. And it's really difficult, I feel, because um, Canadi- Albertans and Canadians in general, because Alberta is a province of immigrants from across Canada, we're crying out for help here, and it seems like our cries are falling on deaf ears. Opponents of the oil sands continue to shout about dirty oil. We've all heard that, including Canadian politicians. You've addressed that, and you've pointed out that the oil sands oil is the most carbon emission-friendly source of oil on the planet, and it's still being stifled. You're asking for environmentalists, if I understand correctly, environmentalists who constantly shout down the oil sands to actually meet with people who work there and engage in open-minded conversation. Any response to that? Or make the case. Well... I want to correct you there. The oil sands oil, it's not the most environmentally friendly source of oil, but it's nowhere near what the opponents of the oil sands are labeling it as. Uh, the world's most carbon-intensive oil is actually from Bakersfield, California. It's a very heavy blend of crude. And if you look at um, from production to downstream, the most carbon-intensive oil in the world is actually from Nigeria. But regardless, um, you've got to look at it uh, from all factors. And this is an ethical source of oil. Um, our OH&S regulations, you know, occupational health and safety, it's the best, world-leading. Um, the environmental re- remediation going on in the oil sands is, once again, some of the world's best and goes far above and beyond what oil companies are normally expected to do in other jurisdictions. And, uh, you know, you, you listen to people talk about the oil sands, and there's so much misinformation going on. Like, you know, you have a, a doctor that was dis. Uh, lost his license from the Canadian Medical Association because green groups were paying him to spread lies that the oil sands were causing cancer in Fort Chip. Or you have these, you have people calling the oil sands mortar and talking, showing big pictures of open pit mining when really most oil sands operations these days are SAG-D, that's steam-assisted gravity drainage. So um, 
it's, it's about having an open and honest conversation with Canadians. And I was actually reading an article from a guy named Tony Coulson, who's from Enveronics, which is a very well-known and respected polling firm. And they looked at, they polled Canadians on what they thought about the oil sands. And only two out of 10 Canadians hold strong opinions on this issue. But these are the only groups of people that are getting the message out there about it. And I think it leaves the majority of Canadians who are either conditional opponents or conditional supporters, it leaves them without kind of a, a base to go from to, to form an educated opinion about the issue. Um, if, you know, I, I want to reach out to people who are undecided because, yeah, I can talk to the cheerleaders for the oil and gas industry, but they already agree with me. And I can talk to the people who are the echo radicals and they will never listen to anything that I have to say. So I think um, if we want to represent the interests of the majority of Canadians, we have to reach out to the majority of Canadians who haven't formed opinions and engage them on the issues that they're talking about. And um, the number one issue this polling firm realized was that people care about monitoring and enforcement for spills and leaks. That's their top concern. That's followed by the protection of health and safety and the environment. So, yes, the economy is an important issue, but the people who are undecided are worried about how this is going to be managed and how it's going to be built, and they want more information, but they're not getting it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to talk about, like, the ways that these pipelines are going to be safe, uh, specifically addressing the Energy East pipeline, because I want to, you know, address the concerns that Mayor Coderre raises, although I, I question the motivations behind them, they're important issues to come up with responses to. Well, this is something that I, I'm going to keep calling on you to join me on the air because I really do well, think awesome. you, you, have a, you have a strong message. You know what you're talking about. You're willing to discuss the issue with those who don't see eye to eye with you. And I really think you should get into a, a, some sort of political activity and, 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 a, and a serious level going forward. I'll see if I can convince you to do that. By the way, some media have described you as a professional actor, that you're not really an oil patch roughneck, but you're a guy who makes YouTube videos. And the BBC, which is strongly anti-oil sands, I think described you as the what was it, the Canadian version of Joe the Plumber from a fairly recent U.S. federal election? Well, yes, but I read that BBC article and they included nothing really of substance about what we talked about. Yeah. And one thing that really bothered me about that article is it talked about high-paying wages for low-skilled jobs. And, you know, if you're talking about someone who's, like, say, a ditch digger or just a laborer in a construction site, I can, un- or, you know, I can understand that would be considered a low-skilled job. But a roughneck, or that's the bottom of the barrel in the oil and gas industry. And, I mean, going up from there, this is an industry that employs very intelligent people. And there's a stereotype about us that we're a bunch of dumb, uneducated rednecks with jacked-up trucks. And that could not be further from the truth. My friend like Bernard. Right now, my, rough, my roughneck I'm working with, Clive, he's from Zimbabwe. He immigrated to Canada as a, te- as a teenager. And he's moved from Barrie, Ontario, because he couldn't find enough work doing drywall. And it wasn't paying him well enough. Um, but, uh, that article, just to say that what we do is low skilled work, like I'd really like, and then to just assume that a journalist is what, and other people like that are, who are the educated and the better informed to make these decisions, that's insulting. And, you know, it, it shows, it displays quite a pronounced antipathy towards the working class and the laboring man, because, you know, uh, we don't just work with the sweat coming off our brow. We work with what's under our hard hats. And I'd really like to see that journalist unset a packer at 2,700 meters to calculate uh, flow rates 
Me you too. Know, when they're pumping down hole, like yeah. Bernard, I'm low skilled work. We'll have to talk another time. I really enjoy the conversation. I enjoyed the conversation off the air and the conversation on the air today. I'm going to try to make some. I'm going to try to make a debate happen between you and somebody on the other side of the issue. So Bernard Hancock, my apologies. I don't know where I got Hopkins from. Bernard hey, Hancock. Hey, I really appreciate you having me on. Good to talk to you. We'll talk to you again. Good to talk to you, and uh, good to be able to reach out there to your listeners across Canada. You got it. Bernard Hancock, Bernard the Roughneck. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Here's what Danny Kader had to say about Energy East. This is from the Montreal Gazette. The project presented uh, by TransCanada carries too many environmental risks for the greater Montreal area. Recall that the region of Montreal is a highly urbanized archipelago comprising 4 million inhabitants. The environmental risks in particular for the drinking water supply are so much larger than elsewhere. The planned route of Energy East crosses several major rivers, including the Ottawa River, the Rivière des Mille-Îles, the Rivière des Prairies, and the Rivière L'Assomption. In case of a leakage incident, the drinking water intakes of several greater Montreal municipalities could be threatened. I wish to emphasize that the cost of a major spill in the metropolitan Montreal region could reach $10 billion. In addition, our opposition to the Energy East project is consistent with global initiatives to transform energy consumption. Most national and local governments are adopting action plans that establish targets for a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions to reduce their dependence on oil and to transform to greener energy supplies. I myself was in Paris a few weeks ago to take part in the COP21 discussions. In a context where the Earth's nations are talking about even more restrictive measures to limit GHG emissions, we cannot justify the construction of a pipeline that also delivers more risks than real profits. We're not the only ones to oppose pipeline projects. British Columbia and the United States are clearly opposed to such projects for reasons of civil security, protection of the environment, and the absence of economic benefits. This is also true for the very large majority of First Nations peoples of Quebec, Ontario, and Manitoba. Many municipalities across the country are opposed to or have serious doubts as to the need for Energy East. Uh, for all these reasons, in addition to the total lack of cooperation of the TransCanada company, this project did not obtain a passing grade in the areas of economic, social, environmental, and public safety. In the coming months, the Montreal metropolitan community will present this position at a consult, consult, consultations that will be held by the Quebec Bureau des Audiences Publiques sur l'environnement and the National Energy Board. We will, moreover, ask the federal government to amend the law to include in its assessment of this project an environmental impact study that will also take into account the production of GHGs at the source. We'll also ask for a study of the impacts in the event of an accidental spill. Uh, our decision is the result of a public consultation across the whole Montreal community. Uh, response was this from a reader. What an absolute joke. Do you ride a bike to work to the plane you flew to Paris on because God knows the U.N. climate summit would not have been complete without the mayor of Montreal run on unicorn farts and rainbows? Have you never heard of a train derailment? Think of Lac Megantic and 47 people dead. It seems lately you hear of a train derailment every week. All of those tracks cross rivers too. Pipelines are exponentially safer than rail, particularly with the technology of today. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Breed-specific legislation, or dog breed bans. Now, anybody in Ontario who's lived in Ontario for some period of time will remember that Michael Bryant, who was the Attorney General for Ontario, 
put in place a law that bans pit bulls. And it's still in place in the province of Ontario, even though some communities are not exactly living up to what the law says from what I was reading. Some some cities, like Ottawa, from what I understand, apply common sense when it comes to dogs that are a problem or owners who are creating dogs that are a problem simply by not properly training or socializing their animals. But in Montreal, breed-specific legislation was passed. The, the, the mayor um, has um, decided that pit bulls are going to be history in, in the city of Montreal, and that's creating a lot of backlash, not only in Montreal, but across Canada, across North America, and interestingly, globally, because breed-specific legislation has the attention of people around the world. Everybody loves their dogs. And you know if you have a good dog. You know you have a good dog. If you happen to have a dog that's on the banned list, and somebody comes to your house and says, well, two choices here. We'll try to find a home for your dog in another province, or we'll euthanize your dog. What's your response going to be? Exactly what it should be. Rebecca Aldworth is the executive director of the Humane Society International, or Canada, and she joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Rebecca, thank you very much for taking the time. This is a, a hugely contentious issue, as it should be. And from what I understand, the mayor of Montreal, and it sounds like I'm picking on him today because we were talking about pipelines in the last hour. But the mayor of Montreal, Mr. Gadir, from what I understand, refused to meet with you, the Humane Society, okay. refused to meet with the SPCA, refused to meet with any experts who were going to uh, provide relevant information to the bylaw that was drafted and passed, which bans pit bulls. Speak to us about that, please. It, it's been very frustrating. I mean, as you know, the city of Montreal has just passed a nonsensical bylaw that targets not just pit bulls, but pit bull-type dogs, which, um, with the wording in, in the bylaw, could essentially refer to any large dog. So this is a very confusing bylaw, a very discriminatory bylaw that's going to cause enormous hardship in Montreal. And the fact that the mayor came to this decision without even um, consulting with the relevant experts in the community of Montreal on this topic is incredibly frustrating. Um, unfortunately, uh, the result has been that this bylaw has passed. And now, of course, as, uh, as you know, there's ongoing legal action to try to stop it. Now, in June of this year, there was a tragic death of a, of a woman in Montreal who was attacked by a dog and mauled to death by the dog. And the dog was initially in media reports uh, defined as a pit bull. Later on, we hear that police said, no, not a pit bull, a boxer. So the mayor had ample reason to put the brakes on for the breed-specific legislation. What was it that drove him? What was the... He, I know he wouldn't speak with you in a meeting, but did, what rationale did he employ? What we saw very clearly was the mayor responding to public hysteria, and it's a natural fallout of a very tragic death um, that occurred in Montreal. Obviously, people were very upset and grieving and really wanted answers and wanted a solution to this problem. People felt at risk, and they wanted strong leadership from their elected officials. Now, in the beginning, we saw the mayor being very public about the fact that breed-specific legislation doesn't work, uh, that places like Toronto that have BSL have increased rates of dog bites. 
And then we saw a real shift in the political attitude as the media and the public um, demanded answers and really were pointing the fingers at pit bulls. The misidentification of this dog as a pit bull in the Montreal media was truly unfortunate. Uh, A lot of people began to talk about pit bulls um, as, you know, as a problem in our community, when in fact the incidents that sparked sparked this this whole debate could have just as easily been caused um, by any dog, and and in particular in this situation, uh, most likely was a boxer. Rebecca, talk to us, please, about pit bulls, Staffordshire Terriers, bull terriers, or other dogs have been identified as pit bulls. When Michael Bryant passed the law, he was shown a a series of photographs of dogs and asked to pick out the pit bull, and he couldn't do it. It was the guy who drafted and passed the legislation to ban pit bulls. In the province of Ontario, but there's a there is there's thinking that these dogs are just too strong, too powerful, their bite is too massive, and they just have uh, a, 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 they're they're pre predisposed to nasty attacks. Speak to that, please. It's it's absolutely untrue. Um, experts consistently find there's no one breed that is more likely to bite than any other. Um, We do know that there's some um, factors that are scientifically linked to aggression in dogs. Um, This includes everything from neglect and abuse um, to leaving animals unsterilized um, to lack of training of dogs, uh, lack of awareness of the owner, lack of awareness in the public how to interact with dogs. Um, But the idea that any one breed is more likely to bite than another or predisposed to, to attacking people is absolutely incorrect and has proven to be incorrect every single time. What's interesting is a lot of times when we hear about dog bites that involve pit bulls, nobody has actually done a DNA test to see if this is a pit bull type dog. Um, And for that matter, there's no one breed that is a pit bull. There are pit bull type dogs. So if we have a dog that's simply being identified by the media or the police as being a pit bull, it could be a repeat of the situation that we just saw in Montreal where a dog was actually registered as a boxer and then uh, talked about in the media as a pit bull. The SBCA in Montreal, from what I understand, has uh, indicated that because of this bylaw, it is no longer going to provide um, dog control services to the boroughs of Montreal that it currently does service. Is that correct? It it is correct. However, um, the Montreal SPCA has um, put uh, before the uh, Superior Court um, an immediate injunction uh, or a request for an immediate injunction to suspend the application of the bylaw provisions that talk about pit bull-type dogs. Now, that's going to be heard tomorrow. There is every chance that that injunction um, could work and that it could suspend the application of the law. But if it fails and if the law comes into effect, then the Montreal SPCA will withdraw its services um, from the 10 boroughs in question uh, that it currently serves because it can't in good conscience euthanize um, well-behaved, adoptable, healthy dogs. I asked you to provide me with some information on this particular bylaw, and I'm just reading from an email from you. The bylaw bans any new Staffordshire Bull Terriers, American Pit Bull Mm -hmm. Terriers, American Staffordshire Terriers, any dog mixed with these breeds, or any dog that presents characteristics of one of these breeds. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I mean, if this were television, you'd see my head shaking. (laughs) And mine. 
Um, what's, what's, you know, I'm laughing, but it, it's actually not laughable. Um, this is really frightening for a lot of people who've adopted dogs from the SPCA or who've taken in mixed breed dogs who really don't actually know if their dog would be identified as a pit bull type dog under this legislation. People have been calling the city to find out um, whether their dogs are implicated and city officials can't tell them the answer. That's how badly drafted this bylaw is. People don't even know if this law applies to them. And because the language is so broad, literally any larger dog in this city could be targeted because it's left up to the animal control's discretion as to whether a dog is a typical python or not. So you could have somebody who has the position of being involved with animal control for the city of Montreal. They really are not well-versed on on the specific breeds, sees a large dog, says, mm, it kind of looks like, it kind of looks like a pit bull. So they knock on your door or they'll leave you a notification or a notice and it says, what, your dog has to go? Well, they, they, this very much could happen under the current bylaw because of the very broad and vague wording within the bylaw and the fact that there is absolutely no mechanism in place um, to try to refine that wording or to try to ensure that the public is properly educated about the implications of the bylaw. So what needs to happen in about 30 seconds, Rebecca? What's the, what's the, what's the correct way to address this? This dog that sadly and unfortunately and tragically mauled the woman in Montreal, had twice been reported as being aggressive and reported as being aggressive, and nothing was done. That's right. Um, the city of Montreal already had effective dangerous dog legislation in place, and it had every means of dealing with this incident. Um, what we need is proactive response when we see a dog that has actually been aggressive. Um, we need those situations to be dealt with immediately. Um, but we also need a broader approach in Quebec. We need access to low-cost spay and neuter services amongst the community. We need the public to be informed about how to train their dogs and how to interact with dogs. And we need more money put into enforcement of the animal cruelty legislations in this, in this province. All right, Rebecca Aldworth, thank you very much for the time. Good talking to you. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Yesterday, I received an email from a listener asking about Allison Azar. What, what, what's going on with Allison's pursuit of having her children returned from Iran to where they were kidnapped by their father, for whom a Canada-wide arrest warrant was issued by the RCMP. And there was a red alert from Interpol, the International Police Agency, and if Mr. Trudeau and his government had acted on that, those children, Canadian children, would likely be back with their mother now. Because the Prime Minister promised, as you heard Allison tell us, that uh, face-to-face, Agder, said, it will, it will be my job, my responsibility to get your children back. So earlier this week, Homa Hutfar, an Iranian-Canadian dual citizen, was freed from the Evan prison in Tehran. She's... Um, Back in uh, in Canada, Justin Trudeau is given credit for having been involved, even though Canada has no official relations with Iran. So what's he doing for Alison Azar? Alison, the listeners do never forget, want to know what's happening. They're on your side, and they expect action from the prime minister. Good to have you back, and what can you share with us? Thanks, Roy. Well, just about two weeks ago, I received a call from Global Affairs letting me know that Stefan Dion had raised my children with his 
uh, counterpart, Foreign Minister Zarif, um, at the UN meeting uh, in New York. Um, and we know that Professor Hoodpar's case was also raised by Stefan Dion and then latterly pushed um, hard by the Prime Minister. I was really pleased to hear a week ago that she had been released. That was fantastic news for her and her family and for Canada. But it was also bittersweet because my children didn't board that plane and my children haven't come back to Canada. When you find out that Stefan Dion, the Global Affairs Minister, speaks with his Iranian counterpart at the United Nations, you not only find out, they actually call you to tell you that. Does that sound to you like they're close to having something uh, happen that's positive for you, that's why they're calling you, uh, just to let you know? And, 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 and I'm hoping, obviously, that that's what they're doing, that they're letting you know that they're, they're getting closer. You know, I think I think you might be right. Um, and, you know, the Canadian government has said that child abduction is child abuse. Um, my children may not be in a bricks-and-mortar prison, um, but they, they have been taken illegally by an international fugitive away from their home, away from their family and their routines. And this is, this is a, a critical matter, I would say as critical a matter, to get my four Canadian children back home. Mr. Trudeau seems to have a particular interest in forging relations with Iran. Seems to, seems to want to get this done. It, it, it's almost a preoccupation just watching him. I may be wrong, but I think, I think it is. And there has been so much Canadian public response to your plea for your children and response to knowing the Prime Minister promised you that the file of your children would stay on his desk until it was resolved to your satisfaction, their mum. It almost seems to me that they've had so much pressure put on them that they realize and recognize they can't go much further in the relation, developing a relationship with Iran without you getting your children back. I, I mean, I, I may be tilting at windmills here, but I, I wonder if that might be What's developing here? Well, you know, tilt away, Roy, and I I hear where you're going with that. And in large part, people like you and all your listeners, there is a real surge of support and an awareness about my children and their illegal detention in Iran. I think that, you know, not everybody is supportive of reestablishing relations with that country. And so supporters and possibly critics alike will be looking very closely at what the prime minister and the foreign minister does next. And I think that there will be a real backlash if any embassy opens um, of Iran here in Ottawa or of Canada in Tehran. And my children are st still being held with the kidnapper. No, oh, no question. Uh, no, no question that that would happen. Allison, when they called you, did they just say that Stefan Dion spoke with his Iranian counterpart at the United Nations and your children were part of the discussion? Or did they give you anything? And I, I don't want to dig too deeply here because they don't get, you know, if they're, well, if they're doing something. Did, did they give you hope beyond that? 
no, it was a very, um, it, it was very just precise and limited to that. I am going to Ottawa next week. Uh, I'll be there Thursday, Tuesday to Thursday, and I'm meeting with Dion's parliamentary secretary, Omar Algabra. I've met with him a few times, and so I will be asking for some specific answers as to what took place. Um, you know, I'm almost 14 months into this nightmare of not seeing my children, not speaking to them. The fathers refused all contact. It was my birthday on Thursday, and, um, you know, I just wanted the day to come and go as quickly as possible. But I did hold out some maybe crazy hope that my ex-husband would allow the children to uh, make contact with me. And, you know, that didn't happen. This this really requires the kind of top-level leadership that Trudeau is saying he was able to um, exercise for Professor Hoodfar. And I'm really glad that he did that because it shows Canadians he's capable of it. And he did it for her, and I'm very glad he did. And there's four little kids waiting for him to do exactly, exactly the same. Exactly. And in the interim, our listeners can continue to put on pressure on the um, on the prime minister and continue to um, to let their members of parliament know that uh, they expect this to happen. Allison, uh, t- tell us again quickly. Tell our listeners again quickly where they can go online. Sure, it's findazerkidsnow.com, and Azer is A Z E R. Okay. And for um, the Twitter. It's hashtag make the call. Um, your listeners have made a difference right. for me and my children, and please continue doing what you're doing. Find com, and then you can find Allison on Twitter as well. Thank you, Allison. We will. Thank you, Roy. We'll stay in touch. We'll keep pushing all of us. Thank you. I'll Always a pleasure. Your... Thank you. Allison Azer, help her, help her get her children back. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. It's called birth tourism. And there are, according to the Vancouver Sun, uh, investigations of 26 so-called baby houses in British Columbia. I'm, I'm just finding out about this. Uh, from what I understand, this is where foreigners, and it's usually Chinese citizens, come to Canada to stay as uh, their pregnancies near term. And then when they're about to go into labor, the women are taken to Vancouver and other B.C. hospitals to give birth, and the children are automatically Canadian citizens. So that's as much as I'm going to tell you, because now we're going to start asking questions. Carrie Starchuk is a resident of Richmond, British Columbia. She lives next door to what is called a baby house, and she has a national e-petition for the federal government underway. Uh, And we're going to talk about that as well. So, Carrie, it's good to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me on your show today. Yeah. And uh, he was on with us yesterday. He's been on with us many times. And I can hear heavy breathing. I, I hope you're okay. You know, it's... <laughs> I, don't know why. I don't know what you're doing, Martin, but back off the phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm Form... laughing at your jokes. <laughs> Former Canadian ambassador to Syria and Lebanon, Martin Collicutt, who was on the air talking to us about immigration yesterday. But I... Uh, I always, I always enjoy your sense of humor, and when you and Curland are on, it's like insanity on, on the air, but a lot of good things are done. A lot of things are explained. So let's start with explanations, and Martin, I'll ask you to 
to en- engage in this as well. So, Carrie, f- f- when and how did you become involved and engaged in the issue of birth tourism? Because as you said to me on the phone the other day when we were just having a conversation, you said, I'm just, a, I'm just an ordinary person living all my life in Richmond, British Columbia. What's the story? Yeah, so I am a fourth-generation Richmondite. Uh, Richmond's my home. I'm quite familiar of how we operate, and we've had neighbors in our neighborhood. And uh, I noticed that there was some activity going on next door, and, you know, they uh, they were new people, so I brought over some cookies to uh, Dad and the little boy and uh, welcomed to the neighborhood and looked up, and there was two pregnant women and then they were gone, and then there was more, and then there was more, and then there was more. So I had heard in 2012 it had happened in town, downtown Richmond, but I didn't realize it was going to happen right next door to me. All right, so this would be what was called a, a, a baby house. Yes, it was, wh- it, it's a baby house. That's what it's referred to. And, and as I understand it, women, and it's predominantly women from China, come yep. to British Columbia— and they are residents in these baby houses until just before they go into labor. And then they're brought to a hospital in, in either Richmond or Vancouver. And, well, I don't right. so much Vancouver, but it's more prevalent in Richmond. In Richmond? Okay. And then when the baby is born, the baby is automatically a Canadian citizen. And, and Martin, what does that entail? What, is, what, what, is that, what does that create? That- Simply by being born on Canadian soil, you get Canadian citizenship. Right. And uh, only Canada and the United States still allow that. All other Western countries have abolished it because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, In the States, it's mixed up in politics because the Democrats want all the uh, children born to illegal to be uh, American citizens so they can vote Democrat. Now, the problem with this is... When those children, they usually go back to China. Most are from China, although we've had quite a few Nigerians. We had the daughters of uh, two Syrian generals give birth in Canada a few years back, so they could get Canadian citizenship. The problem is when these children get older, with no ties to Canada, because they have citizenship, they can get publicly, Canadian publicly subsidized education, health care, and when they're 18, they can sponsor their, their family members to Canada. Is this happening? If they have no ties to Canada, they wouldn't probably have been accepted as ordinary immigrants. Is and it, it happening? Canadians a lot. Is it happening, Martin? It's happening. Now, in, in Richmond Hospital, uh, in the year ending March 31st, 15% of all babies born there, that was 295, uh, were from China. Uh, more than a dozen pregnant Richmond residents were turned away because there wasn't room to accommodate them. The, the hospitals make more money out of this birth tourism than Canadian citizens. And so there is a cost to taxpayers. Um, the Kerry's launched a petition which is sponsored by um, Alice Wong, members of parliament for uh, well, Richmond we, we invited Ms. Wong to be on the program today. Yeah, well, she she supported it. Okay. Uh, we need 500 signatures for it to be tabled before Parliament. It's already got 8,500. Okay. But anyone who wants to sign it has another 12 days to do so. And uh, it, it simply makes no sense whatsoever to have birth citizenship. 
You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. If you uh, go on Twitter to at EndBirthTourism, then you'll find uh, Kerry Starchuk's uh, Twitter handle and information. What uh, what can you find there, Kerry, if you go to at, at EndBirthTourism? Uh, um, I posted all the stories that have been up to date uh, from the beginning. Okay. Uh, all, 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 everything I can find, uh, I post. All right, so let's have you tell us what it is that, that you have found out that troubles you. You've gone to your member of parliament um, and you want, you've got the petition that's going to be presented in Parliament by your MP because enough people have signed it. So walk us through, and using just your words, what's happening in, in B.C. with birth tourism. Well, we don't really know the effects of birth tourism, probably not till 18 years from now. It, it really hasn't been abused up to the last few years, but now it's, it's a trend that's happening. So I thought it was happening in Richmond, but when my story went out, it's actually happening in other places, and, and a doctor in Calgary has spoken up against it, too. So it's not just British Columbia. It's, it's, it's other provinces. Columbia. I'm sorry? It's not just British Columbia. All right. So now, what have, what have local politicians said in B.C.? What have, what have the councillors said? What have mayors said? What, what have provincial politicians said? Uh, you know what? They really nobody has called me, except for I have been in contact with both the MPs. One is Joe Pepsolino; he's a liberal, and uh, Alice Wong; she's a conservative. I've talked to both of them. So it isn't illegal. We said that. Right. Um, and uh, the Vancouver Sun writes there are 26 of these baby houses that they're aware of. If I'm reading the story correctly, is that right? Yeah, and the house the house next door to me was operating too within that I know of within uh, neighborhood to neighborhood. So, how much attention has and how much controversy has what you have started to investigate and what you've said and report? You know, you've provided quotes for for reporters. How much controversy has this created? It hasn't created any con- controversy, actually. If I belong to a Richmond site, they talk about what's happening in Richmond, and I found out that it was really disappointing to find out some our moms were being diverted to different hospitals, Nanaimo, Maple Ridge. One person was airlifted to Nanaimo and had to leave the husband behind because they didn't have room for him. But we should be looking after our own local people and not diverting our local people. Um, it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, why, why all of a sudden the numbers are so high? The numbers have never been this high. And it's just because Richmond is close to the airport. I mean, there may be another province where there's an airport, and it could be happening there or start to be a trend. So, so Martin, is there really something to be uh, very concerned about here or, or not? Well, there, there hasn't been that much concern because the, the numbers aren't huge, but uh the, the press reported there's been a dramatic increase in the numbers since 2011 and the government the federal government's reaction has been peculiar uh a spokesman made a statement in august saying well we're worried about the hospital bills getting paid the hospitals make money out of this they didn't seem to be concerned about the cost to canadians 18 years down the the, the pipeline and the fact we get a lot of people who shouldn't be here um, so it's it's a pretty strange reaction. I don't think it would be that difficult to change. You just cancel birth citizenship, like many other countries have done. 
the people, even Richard Curland, has said, well, it's complicated because then you've got to get the cooperation of all the provinces. I don't think you need to. The provinces can issue a birth certificate, but that doesn't mean they have to get federal government citizenship. And I think it could be dealt with. It doesn't make any sense. The numbers are growing, and it's going to cost Canadians down the line. Well, so so we, you know, you both say that it's not that much of a controversy, but yet I find major stories in the Vancouver newspapers dealing with dealing with this uh, this this issue, this situation. Well, I, I don't think the public's that aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those sleepers, but it's it's patently stupid what we're doing. And uh, people should be aware of it, and I'm glad you're having this segment well, on your show. I mean, I'm very interested in the whole issue that has to do with immigration to Canada. And we talked about it yesterday with you, and the phone lines became very engaged. People care about this. People want want to be in, involved, and they don't want to be talked down to by government. So this is another aspect of, of, of immigration discussion, and it's it's perfectly legal what's being done. And now the question is, should it remain legal, and should birth citizenship be a, a, a fact. So if your child is born in Canada, if a baby is born in Canada, should that baby have Canadian citizenship? Because the argument that it then becomes, for some people, and it's the term that's used in the United States, I haven't heard it used in Canada, but anchor babies. And so, uh, you know, the baby's a Canadian citizen, as Martin said, as Kerry said. When they're 18, they'll be old enough to sponsor their, their families to Canada and and your suspicion is, and there's no proof of that because 18 years haven't gone by, but your suspicion is that that's what's planned, right? Oh, definitely. I don't think it's anything. Now, plus the benefits they can get themselves in terms of Canadian taxpayer subsidized education and uh, health benefits earlier than 18 if they come here. Yeah. So, Carrie, what... Uh, what level of, uh, I mean, you've got 8,500 signatures on your on your, um, on your your uh, petition, your e-petition. How do, how, do we, how do people get on that? They can, uh, they can just type E397 and it will show up. And it's open to all Canadians in all provinces. E397. Yep. Okay, so it's going to be presented to Parliament. Yeah, it only so, required 500 signatures, yeah. and I had that, like, within a week. All right, so, yeah, well, so you've got 8,500, so it's going to be presented in Parliament. So, yep. Martin, what happens with this petition when it's presented in Parliament, when, when MP Wong presents it? Is it going to be presented to an empty house and just forgotten? Well, <clears throat> it doesn't automatically get debated, but it raises the, the awareness of Canadians and members of Parliament. So, to me, it's an important first move in at least making people aware of it. I think the only reason people aren't outraged by this is they don't know about it. Well, should people... This, should people petition is going to help. Should Canadians, then I'll ask you both, should Canadians be saying, put an end to, to citizen, citizen, automatic citizenship because you're born in Canada? I mean, if you don't live here, if your parents are foreign... Western countries done it except the U.S. and Canada. If your parents are are not Canadian and they come to the country and they're here only for a short period of time, and that period of time coincides with the birth of a baby, should that baby be denied Canadian citizenship because the baby's only here for a a very short period of time? That's the question, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I've had had five children, and I would never dream of going out of the country to have my baby... Uh, I would, I, I want my hospital available to me where I live. So do any of your other neighbors, carry? are they concerned about this baby house next door to you? Has anybody what, talked about what that? What neighbors? Uh, have you not heard of Richmond? We've got so many empty houses here 
that nobody pays attention to what's happening here anymore. Well, I'd say that road, the road that I'm talking about is a third empty. We've got lots of foreign investment. We've got lots of houses coming down. So there's really no, there's really no connection here anymore. But you've had a lot of media attention, certainly in British Columbia. Yep. And now, I mean, that's not the stories I saw were major stories yep. in the well, newspapers, big stories. And quoting I guess you. It was and opening quoting, up discussion. Yeah, quoting doctors and hospitals and giving stats and giving numbers. And if you have $25,000, you can come to Canada. If you've got 25000 bucks with you, you can enter the country and you can have your baby. So that's jumping the queue. I guess. I thank you. I think. Avoiding the queue. You don't have okay. to qualify as an immigrant. Ambassador Collicott, thank you. Carrie, thank you very much. E- e- you E397, so right? Yes, thank you. Okay. All the best Thanks, to both of Roy. you. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Stacy and uh, Kevin, it's been a while since we've spoken with Stacy and Kevin. Those of you who uh, have been with us for well, at least a few months know that Stacy and Kevin escaped the hell of the wildfire at Fort McMurray, and we touched base with them when they were in Edmonton, and uh, we're going to get back in touch. And you guys are back in at Fort Mac now, right? That we are. Yep. <laughs> well, it's great to hear your voices. Well, it's great to hear you too, right? Yeah, good to you too. So uh, I'm here listening to you. Uh, well, I, you know, you can listen online. Yeah, we found you. <laughs> or, or, or we'll buy or, or I'll buy your radio. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you were in Edmonton, you uh, you were um, you were proactive. You went out and you got yourself a, a, a twenty-three foot trailer, and then so walk us through what's what's been going on in your lives, please. Well, I'll let Kev have a cough there. Go ahead. You want me to go first? <laughs> well, basically, we got the trailer, and as you know, we've did a couple camp ra- campgrounds down Edmonton and Mournville, and now we're finally back in Fort Mac, and we're at another campground. We decided not to pay anybody else's mortgage. The prices went up again. It's ridiculous. So it's actually cheaper to be at the campground right now, and we're just in the middle of winterizing, trying to hunker down. Yeah, how do you winterize the trailer? Because it's it's already. I checked the weather for. I checked your weather forecast by the way last night for Fort <laughs> Mac, just to see what you guys were experiencing. It's already below freezing at night. It is. It's a little chilly. Um, What I'd done, Roy, is I went out and bought a bunch of uh, rigid insulation, and I skirted around the entire unit. Um, I wrapped all the piping and hosing in in what's called a bubble insulation wrap, and then I began to wrap the bottom of the trailer, and I'm going to wrap the entire unit in that insulation, and crank the heaters and try to keep it warm. Extra heaters. <laughs> Lots of extra heaters. Uh, so you've got power, you've got everything you need to uh, infrastructure-wise. Yep, yep. full hookup. We do. The, the campground actually um, does cater to long-term and winter clients up here, which is, is a bonus, but uh, it definitely has its uh, <laughs> tricky parts to it. <laughs> so nerve-wracking. Frozen, yeah, frozen pooper tank wouldn't be fun. <laughs> No, not. No, not after the year you guys have had. No, no, I think it's the last thing we need. <laughs> oh yeah, I just want to. I want to get to New Year's. Write this one off. <laughs> so you have to put one of those heaters under the pooper tank. 
Well, I definitely do. I've um, got a battery heater blanket that I'm attached to. More information than I needed. uh, More than I needed, Roy. (laughs) Great to hear. A man's worst worst nightmare. (laughs) It's great to hear you laughing, you know. What else do you do? There's something that you didn't share, I haven't shared with, uh, with, with listeners, and Somebody, you bought the trailer, you escaped the fire, you, you know, you, you're you living by your wits, really. Uh, so many people who escaped Fort Mac, and then somebody went and vandalized your trailer. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> the campground we were in, um, a gentleman who was not authorized to operate any of the equipment decided to take upon it himself to operate said piece of equipment, <laughs> Uh, causing $12,000 damage to our trailer. Wow. Yeah, so that was, that was definitely a fun and, day as Yeah, well. that was a very difficult situation with shattered windows and everything oh, all man. over the place. You don't need Entire that. summer fighting for it. But yeah, and an entire summer it. fighting them to yeah. pay for the repairs was not enjoyable. Not what we need to do on top of everything, no. no. <laughs> but yeah. you're, but you're, in your, you're in your campground now. You're going to stay there for the winter. Yeah, you so. betcha. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and what about Fort Mac itself? How many people are back, and how many people are in? How I mean, well, are, uh, the houses that were not destroyed, there was still a lot of smoke damage, and uh, um, I, I yep. would imagine. So, is are people back in their homes? There's mm-hmm. a lot of people back. There is. My understanding now is is even the areas that were pretty much completely burnt, burnt out. out. They've had a phase one reentry program where the homes that only suffered water or smoke damage have been repaired, and the people are apparently living back in them full time. Yeah, they're not burnt. Gabastand, our area wasn't burnt off when we no. came back. It's every time we've come up for assist, it's been burnt off by cops and security. But now it's actually wide open. They're wide open. Off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is the, the what, what, what's, is what's the? I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying the only one blocked still is waterways. Okay. What's the mood like at uh, Fort Mac now? <sighs> Honestly, I don't know if I've been gone too long. It, it, I hate to say it, it seems like the same old, same old Fort Mac. <laughs> Everybody's just racing around, doing their thing, you know. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of people, though, that... There's still a lot of agitated people. I think there's a lot of people that are disappointed with yep. how the entire system has been handled. Definitely. Um, there's been a lot of roadblocks. The city has finally um, taken upon themselves to give people back all the money they put into permit costs to have their lots cleaned. There was supposed to have been a coordinated effort to do all this, and it it went south, and people had to put up the money out of their own pocket who have lost their home, who are now renting or living in a trailer like we are, Mm -hmm. and still having to pay for things that they don't have the money for. That. it, it should have been, you know, coordinated oh, and taken absolutely. care of. But. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, and I mean, yeah. Canadians gave over $50 million to help you guys. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really disturbing. It is, you know, really. considering it took two months for us to get our $600 from Red Cross. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now we have been, you know, kind of found a roadblock at every turn so far. We've we extra. hear through the town hall meetings that, oh, we're funding this and we're giving money for fuel and helping out. And every time we've contacted them, they're like, well, we're not really doing that right now. <laughs> it, 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 they say they're helping, but when you actually physically ask go to them and ask for help, there's Nothing. another roadblock. 
Well, it, I, you know, I, I think what we're going to have to do is make a call and, and ask them what's going on, and I'm going to do that. We only have a couple of seconds, guys. You have a fire extinguisher business going on. I want to give you a plug. What, uh, what's the name <laughs> of the business? It's called K&S Fire Guard. And, and Ken, is it online? It is only on Facebook and Instagram currently. We are in the process of having our own website built, and we're just kind of getting our feet wet right now. I'm waiting okay. for equipment and stuff to be shipped okay. up. But okay, I gotta go. To... I gotta go, guys. But oh, we'll but we'll sorry. we'll certainly give you a good plug when you're when you're all set and running. Uh, KNS Fire Guard. It's on Facebook. Check it out, uh, Kevin and Stacy. And we're going to stay in touch with you guys. And I'm going to call City Hall and find out what's going on. Got to run. All the best. Awesome. Great to hear you. Thank you so Talk much. to you soon. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.